Peter, Sean, Jeremy, should I do it, Lauren? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Please just call me that. That's my nickname from now on. Should I do uh, it? Should I do it? Should I do it? Should I do it? (laughs) I like it. It's a vibe. Yes. Vibe check passed. Excellent. (laughs) One of those nicknames, people be like, oh, what's the story behind that? And then you're like, well... Well, I was on a podcast uh, once. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, and I regret to inform everyone that I will be boycotting this episode. Why? I'm sorry, but there's there's just no way I can discuss, in good conscience, the critically maligned 1979 album Dynasty by Kiss. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sean, Sean, you're mistaken. Like I usually am. This is This is not the Kiss disco album dynasty this is the band dynasty the funk band oh so we're talking about leon silvers the third then yeah yeah are you still boycotting no i can dig it let's go proceed who else is here wow that was some role reversal (laughs) i am co-host jeremy ruggles and i'm a salesman for lola solar you could get free solar panels and save half off on your electricity. I'll keep that. I'll keep that in mind. You got any, got any promo codes for us, or it's uh, it's like lights of Los Angeles, huh? Nice, huh? Oh. nice, <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. Well, I am co-host Peter Cook, pronunciation advisor for Solar Records. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> how they say it wait so so are you helping the people at solar records pronounce things or are you just helping the world at large learn how to pronounce solar i'm helping the world at large pronounce the label solar because why isn't it solar (laughs) but that's how they always say it if you watch anything about dick griffey solar so there it is well you're doing god's work peter (laughs) and who's the guest should i go um, <laughs> should, should you do it? Yes, you should do it. <laughs> um, I'm Lauren, uh, ambassador of Singing Loudly at Karaoke, Talking Heads Division. Ooh. And this is my and this is my second adventure on this podcast. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. Very clever. This is your second adventure, Lauren. I was saying just before we started here that I realized this episode is going to air one day shy of a year from the last time you were on. My goodness. Can you believe? I can't believe it. <laughs> Neither can I. So much has happened in a year. What a yeah. way to mark that anniversary. Well, I guess we've started a good tradition. Sure, I'd buy that birthday. <laughs> yeah. You'll have to have <laughs> me on every, yeah, every year at this time. <laughs> every year at the same point. Yep. For the rest of our lives. Oh, Jesus. Here we go. <laughs> well, before we get into the record that you came to talk about, Lauren, since it's been almost a year. Why don't you tell our listeners who you are? Just a little bit about yourself. 
Sure. So my name is Lauren. I'm based in Toronto, Canada, where weed is legal. And I collect records. I've been collecting records for quite a while. And sometimes I play those records out in bars for people, which I was actually able to do quite recently. It was really fun to, to do that again since, uh, since the pandemic started. What was your peak song during that set? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. I think it was hmm, probably Here I Am by Dynasty from this record. Wow. <laughs> or possibly uh, Glow of Love by Change. That's a good one. Nice. Always a favorite. That was a very good one. That was, that was the other album you considered doing for this That's right, episode, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad you're bringing your peak material to our podcast. nothing but the best for hide behind that for enough that's right happy to be here (laughs) so yes you came to talk about dynasty the second adventure that's right yeah so i brought along dynasties the second adventure which actually is their third album you would think it's their second but their second album is actually called adventures in the land of music So this is their second adventure, their third album. Um, And I found out about Dynasty and this album because of the track Here I Am, which was featured on Mad Lib's Black Soul, which is a really great just like record of samples of uh, disco and soul music from the 70s and 80s. And they sampled Here I Am on the very first track. As a side note, I would highly recommend people search out Black Soul. It's a really, really great album. You can't find it on Spotify, but the whole thing is on YouTube. And I think Here I Am is like the the third song they sample on the first mm-hmm. yeah. the first track. Right, yeah, right around there. I, it, funny enough, I, I checked that out today just because I was curious mm-hmm. uh, if any of these tracks had been sampled on anything. And it's it's not just like a small section of the song. It's like a large portion of the song. It's kind of like a mixtape almost, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The, yeah, that's a good Madeline. way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that was really cool. I'll have to check out the rest of that mm-hmm. Mad Lib joint. Yeah, it's really good. Like I said, it's not on Spotify, but it's only samples. And there's actually a Spotify playlist with all of those samples that you can listen to instead. Ah. Interesting. So should we check out Here I Am? Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Side A, track one from the second adventure. And this is on Solar Records, 1981.
I love that track. I think it's a standout, like great first track on the album. Great disco soul duet about a guy who's ready to commit to a relationship. <laughs> and I love that the bass like really captures the melody at the beginning of the song and just carries through the whole song. It's a good mix of like orchestral disco strings and funk with that bass and like the four on the floor beat. I just think it's a perfect song. And that bass is played by none other than Leon Silvers the third, who yeah. one of the, the marks of him as a producer and songwriter in the albums that he worked on was that he used the bass as a more melodic instrument than just about any other bass player in R and B at the time. So he had a very distinctive approach to that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it shows really well on songs like this. I was impressed by how both funky and poppy most of this album is. Yeah, I think on a couple songs, like within the song, there is more than one bass track and one would be kind of like funky on the bottom and then I'd hear like melodic runs that I'm sound like a different bass track <laughs> looped on top. <laughs> that so could, That could be because aside from uh, Leon, there's two other bassists credited on this album, Foster Silvers, his brother, and Kenneth Gant of Midnight Star. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there might be multiple bases going on at some points. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'd also read that Leon kind of got his start as a producer by doing, like, very sketchy DIY multi-tracking on, like, a portable cassette player. And was, like, hand-making instruments and practicing, like, how far away from his little cassette player they had to be to get the sounds just right. So one of the rare pros of multi-tracking at this point. Oh, that sounds like 15-year-old me with, like, the dual tape decks. Mm-hmm. And, like, it just keeps getting more and more faded with each track you add. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Decay. Yeah. Yeah, I think this song and the album really straddles the line between, like, funk soul of the 70s, like, moving into the early 80s with, like, more, like, synthesizers and moogs. It's sort of like a blend of those two different instrumentation. Yeah, because, I mean, a a lot of these people had been in the music industry for quite some time Mm -hmm. and had lived through, like, a few different shifts in popular R&B music, but they were remaining versatile and keeping up with the trends while still maintaining elements of, Mm -hmm. you know, previous subgenres and whatnot. Totally. Yeah, if you look at the album cover from left to right, you've got William Shelby, Nadra Beard, Leon Silvers, the third, in the center, looking very suave. Linda Carrier and Kevin Spencer. And all of them are like in other bands, in solar records, and have like a lot of experience in the music industry. The back of the album has members of Dynasty and other folks from Sola, which stands for Sound of Los Angeles Records, including Dick Griffey, who was one of the founders of the label and produced many of the albums that they released. He's in the center of the album, or sorry, of the of the picture on the back. Pretty sure that's him kneeling down with folks sort of crowding blue? around. Oh, in the kneeling down on the very front. Yeah, that's right. He's also thanked on the album notes along with a lot of the other solo staff. Do you know what other big-time Los Angeles West Coast label Dick Griffey was instrumental in starting? Soul Train? A little later on. Which one? Well, he. this is in the 90s. This is in the early 90s, I'm thinking. This, hmm. this is, uh, I don't know if this is very common knowledge, Death, Death Rose in the, the motherfucking, motherfucking house. 
Oh, wow. Peter with a swear. <laughs> well, I liked that. I'm quoting here. <laughs> and, I, and I quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Suge Knight and Dr. Dre uh, what? went, went to Dick Griffey, and Dick Griffey was instrumental in helping them found Death Row. Huh. And then later, I think, sued Suge Knight because, of course, Suge Knight didn't give him the money deserved for his involvement. Shocked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wild. That's uh, quite a left turn for him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jumping way ahead, though. Let's go back to nineteen, this late 70s, early 80s, you know, in this time mm-hmm. period that we're talking with Dynasty, mm-hmm. Leon Silvers. So what's our background on Dynasty here. I, I wasn't really familiar with them at all going into this, this episode when mm-hmm. Lauren said that she wanted to do this record. I mean, I, I think, you know, I'd seen some of the records around, but I definitely hadn't listened to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean, I'm guessing, was familiar? Fairly familiar. I don't own any of their LPs, but I have a 12-inch of their single, I Don't Want to Be a Freak, But nice. I Can't Help Myself. <laughs> and I, I've been jamming that one at gigs for a while. So kind of weird that I haven't picked up another one of their mm-hmm. records because I do love that track. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those disco groups that you see in the bins all the time. And I've kind of always thought like, oh, I need to like figure out which are like the really good Dynasty records. So here we are. Mm-hmm. Jeremy? I know both the Kiss and Jay-Z albums called Dynasty. And that's <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah there was a there, the cold open to one of our patreon episodes patreon.com slash i buy that podcast starts <laughs> oh, with that me te- starts with me telling sean that lauren was gonna do a destiny record <laughs> and he's like, he's like no no dynasty you're, you're thinking of the jacksons <laughs> oh my gosh so that yeah that shows just how little i knew but of course yeah i did know of of uh Leon Silvers and the Silvers and and Dick Griffey and Solar Records. But Mm -hmm. hey, I'm learning more now. So I'm so glad that you brought this one. And, you know, it's this is a good one to do because it seems like it's not necessarily critically very high rated. Mm -hmm. It's kind of been overlooked and underappreciated. And hey, what better podcast? Yeah, that's our bag. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because like Dynasty has six records, and I feel like the first three are, which this one is the third, those are like all hits. They're just solid records. But then after that, they didn't really release anything that's like of note. I think this is sort of like the pinnacle, the peak of their of their success. They only had two adventures in them, I guess. <laughs> only two adventures, so sad. But they also made it to the... Your piece of the rock. I almost said top of the rock, but you know what I mean. That's the name of their first <laughs> album. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. For yeah. the true heads. For the true heads. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, how about we do another track? Let's uh, let's hear what else this album has to offer before we talk more about the background of Dynasty. Sure. So the next track I've, I wanted to play is called Love in the Fast Lane, which is the first track of the second side got a great horn section and it's an anthem about setting boundaries and i really love the line i just can't let my heart take a back seat on a freeway to a dead end it's about you know a declaration of self-love love it wow and the exact opposite message of life in the fast lane by the eagles <laughs> precisely oh <my> <laughs> i was about to go there and decided not to and then jeremy did it for <laughs> me. i'll go there i'll take the cheap shots <laughs> <laughs> all right side b 
track one, Love in the Fast Lane. the numbers in front of me and I don't know if you have them with um, I don't know if you have them Lauren but I'm surprised this album wasn't a bigger hit because I feel like that first I think the first track that we listened to uh, Here I Am I think that was a a minor hit but I don't think any of the other songs charted and you know hearing Mm -hmm. like that one right there 1981 seems like it really could have hit oh totally that track and Here I Am are the only ones the crack the top 40 R&B charts. The rest of them okay, so, didn't, so. So Love in the Fast Line did, did also get released yeah. as a single and do do a little bit. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. But even I'm, even then, I'm surprised they weren't bigger, like that they weren't, you know, like really huge hits. Mm-hmm. I, this seems like pop gold to me, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, at this period, though, like 79 to 82, there was just so many amazing you know, boogie disco, post disco records, R and B records coming out that some things just inevitably were going to get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, uh, solar records alone was cranking them out at that mm-hmm. time. Yeah. 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 They really were. I think, um, the late seventies, like when solar was, and I always want to say solar, solar records. Oh, was, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Um, when they, they were founded, it wasn't really an ideal time because by this point, many large record companies had sort of started taking significant market share from independent and black owned labels. And then other major record companies had also started like black music divisions as well. So they were sort of cannibalizing that market and had a lot more money to pump into like promotion and marketing. And I think that's what's really sad about 
Dynasty Records and other records on the label is that they just didn't get a lot of backing or promotion. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they were kind of the uh, the Motown of uh, of the time, weren't they? It, it, for a brief period. Yeah, totally. They were like the Motown of of LA. Yeah, you kind of get the impression, kind of like Motown, that Solar was like this close knit family with people performing and writing and producing on different albums for different different bands. It just feels like this, you know, really magical place that just never really took off in the same in the same way. Speaking of family, how many people are singing in this band? <laughs> you know, I don't have the exact count. There's five people officially in the band, as you can see on the on the cover. But there are quite a few other folks who lent their their voice uh, voices to the to the uh, album, and I don't know how many people there were. It looks like it might be five. Okay, so it's you can count it. It's not that many. <laughs> yeah, on, on Discogs, I'm seeing Leon Silvers, William Shelby, Kevin Spencer, and Linda. How do you pronounce her last name? Carrier. That's how Carrier, I, yeah. Linda Carrier and mm-hmm. uh, Nydra Silvers. Mm-hmm. Those are the people credited. There may be more. Who knows? I'm just looking at the at the the notes here of the actual record, and it doesn't actually list who sang which track, which is unfortunate. But uh, but you can imagine that like they just be in the studio and someone walk by and like, hey, you want to lend your your vocals on the track, sort of thing. Yeah, because it's. It felt like a different singer every song, pretty much. <laughs> like, it must all five be singing leads at different points. Yeah, I think they are. It's a lot of different voices on this thing. Which makes sense, because the whole point of this group was that they were presenting as like a disco super group. I mean, even the name Dynasty was because of their intent to just like take the charts by storm with all mm-hmm. the talent contained in this group. So sharing the lead vocal duties makes sense with that kind of a presentation. Mm-hmm. And as we will learn, Leon Silvers wasn't even always in the group. Yeah, this might be a, a good time to dive into a little bit of the the history of Dynasty, if you will allow. I can I can dive into that. Let's do it. Mm, yes, let's allow, yes. Should I go? Okay. Um, <laughs> um, so as we've all kind of alluded to, Dynasty was really like the the brainchild of of Leon Silvers the third, who grew up in a musical household in Nashville and was the second oldest in a musical family of nine kids. And I just want to say quick anecdote: I actually bought Dynasty's second record, Adventures in the Land of Music, in Nashville in a dollar bin. So I kind of feel connected to Leon in that way. He uh, formed the band The Little Angels with some of his siblings, and then they changed their name to the Silvers, who are best known for their hits, Misdemeanor and Only One Can Win, which was sampled on Jay Dilla's Donuts. So Leon was like a multi-instrumentalist and played a bunch of instruments, bass, keyboard, guitar, and went on to learn production work with um, Freddie Perrin when the Silvers recorded with MGM. Perrin had previously worked with Motown artists, including the Jackson Five, and I think there's always like in my brain there's always been a connection between the Silvers and the Jackson Five because they've sounded so similar. So maybe that's that's part of it. But Leon yeah. went on to be the in-house producer on the Solar label and sort of developed this really innovative style. 
So he also produced for Gladys Knight, um, Evelyn Champagne King, and others. Wikipedia claimed that he also produced for Ahmed Jamal, which feels like a bit of a stretch. The only link I could find there was that Ahmed Jamal's cover of The Silver's Misdemeanor, which was written by Leon. But if anyone out there knows of a song by Ahmed Jamal that Leon Silver's produced, I would love to hear it. But anyway, he essentially formed Dynasty after introducing them to Dick Griffey at Solar Records. This is their, their third album, but the first two records was the the band was just uh, Nidra Beard, Linda Carrier, and Kevin Spencer. Beard and Carrier met in LA and were already seasoned performers before joining Dynasty. They, along with Spencer, also toured with the Silvers and stepped in for some of the younger members of the Silvers who were underage and couldn't uh, perform at some of the clubs that they toured at. So the second adventure is really when Leon officially joined Dynasty. He had already produced their first two albums and and written most of their their songs. I don't know what led to him joining the band, but I do know that for a short time he was actually married to Nidra Beard, so maybe that's it, not really sure. William Shelby, who was in another solar band called uh, Lakeside, also joined the group after writing and playing synths on their first two records. And as I mentioned... Fantastic Voyage. (laughs) Lakeside's Fantastic Voyage, right? Yes. Uh, yes, that's right. The classic, the classic. Yeah, put that one on the playlist for sure. But yeah, the album, as I mentioned, only had two top 40 R&B hits. We just heard them both, Love in the Fast Lane and Here I Am. And I personally think it is their best, uh, their best record. Their pinnacle. That's right. Yeah, having not heard any others, I mean, I, I love this one. Spent Spending a, a few weeks with it in preparation for this. Uh, the song's really uh, they're they're pretty instant but man they just get better the more you get familiar with them and mm-hmm. there might be a there may be a, a couple points where th- some of the songs maybe start to seem like they're falling into a little bit of a formula but mm. overall I, I really like this record definitely some parallels i thought to midnight star where like when you listen to it subsequently you notice like more and more layers kind of tucked in there mm-hmm. it's very dense mixes with uh, a lot of interesting stuff that rewards yeah and listening back again when we when we uh, discuss more of the players i know i mentioned that there's the bassist is mid midnight mm-hmm. star but it doesn't end there there's no. other midnight <laughs> stars on here so oh. we'll talk about that a little later but mm-hmm. shall we play another another track yeah if you're ready i mm-hmm. think uh we can give them a little bit more of this second adventure here. Mm-hmm. What do we want to do? I was thinking Revenge, which is the track immediately after Love in the Fast Lane. I really like this one. It was actually written by Nidra Beard. And she also wrote a lot for Shalimar, including their their big hit, A Night to Remember. I hope she made a lot of money off that one. <laughs> um, it also features Shelby on the Moog and one of the Silver Sisters, Patricia, on the synths. Nice. Yeah. Let's check out that track. Side B, track two. Get it. 
we talked earlier about how there's this kind of like pop funk crossover and that song I think is a perfect example of it. And it kind of reminds me of some of the, like the Minneapolis funk happening, you know, Prince, the time Jimmy jam and Terry Lewis. And I remember that there's a little bit of a Jimmy jam and Terry Lewis connection going on here. Apparently Leon Silvers is the one that introduced them to Dick Griffey. And after they both got fired from the time for missing a concert, they used that connection to launch their careers as two of the biggest, most successful producers of all time. Wild. Yeah. Wow. I'm surprised I had not heard of Dick Griffey before any of this. He's, he's so interwoven. Yeah, I mean, I think we briefly mentioned it. We talked earlier that he's soul trained too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. He Dick Griffey is such an interesting character. And I, reading up about him for this episode, I was like shocked by just how monumental a figure he is for someone that I'd like really never heard of before. He moved to LA in the late 60s and became a music promoter. He promoted artists like Aretha Franklin, Al Green. He also represented the Jackson 5 and Stevie Wonder on some of their tours. So when Soul Train moved to LA, sorry, yeah, moved to LA from Chicago in the early 70s, Griffey was hired on as a talent coordinator. And then in 1975, they formed Soul Train Records. Some of Shalimar's like early records are on, on that label. But then Don Cornelius left Soul Train, and the name changed changed to Solar um, Sound of Los Angeles Records. So he he clearly has like a pretty big imprint on the sound of this label and like all these musicians coming together. He just seems like such a like a mentor and a like someone who really guided people into the industry, but yeah, I'd never really heard of him before. Wow. He had, a, I mean, he had his fingerprint on at least three generations of music <laughs> Yeah, between this soul train and then death row. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's pretty wild, but yeah, it's kind of interesting because he also rushed a lot of solar's uh, recordings in the early eighties to get out of a distribution deal that they had with RCA. So I think like kind of what we were talking about before with dynasty and some of the other bands on, on the label having like, you know, not as much of a cultural imprint. Like they didn't make as much of a splash, even though the sound is like so incredible. It seems like because he was rushing a lot of these releases. It led to a lot of marketing and promotion issues and is likely what led to the label just sort of being defunct by the late eighties, which is really too bad. (laughs) I know. I know it's sad. And it actually kind of reminded me of a weird parallel that I drew in my mind was master P no limit records where they were just cranking those things out in the late nineties. Like, Mm -hmm. like, production line just every week mm-hmm. someone you know silk the shocker and all is just dropping <laughs> one after another and and then what happened to that label i don't know it, they were <laughs> on top for like a minute and then just it's like overwhelmed themselves or something yeah overzealous I mean, it's a formula that seemed to have worked for like motown but i think the only difference is that with sola like it was just a totally different climate right like there were so many independent labels that were just being like totally bought up and eaten up by other larger 
record labels. And so it was just so impossible for them to, uh, to compete. It's a damn shame because mm-hmm. some fine music. I know. But Sola actually was relaunched in the UK in 2018. I don't know what they're actually doing. It was hard to find like what, if any, releases have been put out since then. But um, Dick Riffey died in 2010. But then his uh, family, including his daughter, Caroline Griffey, were, um, are releasing records, apparently. She's actually in the new uh, Shalimar that just got back together. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, all these, I didn't know these things had happened. Well, so says Wikipedia and other sites that I found, but it's like, it's not, uh, I guess they're still suffering from that lack of promotion and marketing because I certainly hadn't heard of it. They're in an even worse environment now of like corporate monopoly over what music gets marketed and distributed. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> I have a little info on the some of the musicians on the instrumentation on this record. I know we, we mentioned the players on the multiple basses we were talking about, but on the drums, we have Melvin Gentry from Midnight Star. So we have a Midnight Star bassist. We have a Midnight Star drummer. Another drummer that's on here is Wardell Potts Jr., who was the house drummer for Solar. So he's on recordings by The Whispers, Shalimar. <laughs> Funny enough, he's also the drummer on Will Smith's Miami from the album Big Willie Style. Get out. <laughs> Love that song. On <laughs> <laughs> uh, guitar, we have a few guitarists. We have Ernest Peppery Jr. He, he seems to be from Ohio, and I'm guessing mm-hmm. he was a session player for Solar. He died at the age of 44 in 1999. We also have a guy named Richard Randolph who played on a lot of Solar re- releases. He just passed away in April of 2021. And Stephen Shockley, the guitarist from the Ohio funk group that we mentioned earlier, Lakeside of yeah. Fantastic Voyage fame. And they're still active and he's still playing with them. That's amazing. To this day. Electric piano. We have Bo Watson of Midnight Star. So, (laughs) yeah, like Midnight Star are kind of the backing band, effectively the backing band on this. On synth, we did, uh, Lauren, you mentioned Patricia Silvers being on synth earlier, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. We also have Joey Gallo, a a Solar Session player, and Michael Nash from the group Rose Royce. Do we know what song they did? Oh, are they Car Wash? You are correct. Oh, my God. (laughs) No, that band jams. I like listen to one of their albums. Somebody was like, "You, you should actually listen to that band," and they jam. Yeah, for real. Yeah, I checked out a couple tracks beyond that, and I was like, "Holy crap!" I never thought to look into the car wash. Band. Yeah, <laughs> now you know. Yeah, now I know, and now our listeners do too. Additional percussion is provided by Wayne Milstein and Kenny Hudson. Both seem to be more Solar players. I know Kenny Hudson right around the same time. Recorded with I by that alum Norman Connors, so that's uh, some of the other players providing the instrumentation on this record. Sean, do you have a Spotify playlist related to this episode? Yeah, I've been quickly assembling it after the uh, the Kiss playlist that I had made in preparation for this episode. But <laughs> did, did our did our wonderful guest Lauren give you a few? 
suggestions for yes that? lauren made it much easier so uh <laughs> the playlist that we co-assembled features uh many of the artists and songs we've been talking about on the show there's some dynasty tracks from this record that we are not featuring in this episode as well as a track from their second adventure album give your love to me there's some shalimar on here plus the song midas touch from the midnight star record headlines that we covered mm-hmm. There's Evelyn Champagne King on here, The Whispers, Carrie Lucas, the big hit from Lakeside, Fantastic Voyage. There is the song Misdemeanor by Foster Silvers that Leon produced and wrote. That is just an amazing track. There's an early Janet Jackson song that Leon Silvers was involved with. And I put some Kashif on there because you just got to. And I put a track from an early I'd Buy That for a Dollar episode where two of the songs were written and produced by Leon Silvers. Does anybody remember what album that was? An early episode of ours? Yes. Bohannon? No. Couldn't be Bohannon, no. No, it's a record from 1984, so three years after the <laughs> one we're talking about today. The Brothers Johnson. That's right. Oh, damn. Uh, nice. So I put the song Lovers Forever from that album on there and closing off the playlist with a much more recent Leon Silver's track. It's him collaborating with the artist Dame Funk from the Invite the Light record, a song called Glide Tonight that you can hear some more, much more recent Leon Silver's work from 2015, actually. Nice. Wow. So he's, he's still out there, still producing, writing you know, obviously a little less active than he was decades ago, but not retired and still has a lot of talent to give. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day he'll write a, a memoir and we can learn so much more about his life. I would totally <laughs> read it. Maybe. there's. I also uh, found too late to, to listen to the whole thing, but there is an episode of Quest Love Supreme with a full extended Leon Silver's interview, which I believe is the only like extended interview he's ever done or at least that can be found at this point Mm -hmm. so if you're interested in learning more about this legendary producer and musician who was just one element of this record then uh maybe check that out Mm -hmm. so where can we find that spotify playlist sean that spotify playlist is on spotify and just search (laughs) (laughs) just search i'd buy that podcast all one word to find this and every other i'd buy that for a dollar official playlist Excellent. Well, Lauren, before we wrap up with Dynasty here, is there anything that you would like to plug while you're here? Oh, goodness. Putting me on the spot here. No, I don't have anything to plug, but I sometimes post my collection on Instagram and folks can find me at wordy underscore wrapping hood on Instagram. Wordy underscore wrapping hood. Just like the Tom Tom Club song. That's right. Mm. Yeah, we learned talking to Lauren before the episode that unlike the American death cult where we've just kept everything open for years, apparently (laughs) Canada's just now kind of starting to let some things happen. So Mm -hmm. not a lot for you to do, I reckon. Well, it's it's province by province, but where I am in Ontario, we just um, opened up the bars and clubs and things. I have tickets to go to concerts next month. I'm super excited. But I did, yeah, I was really excited to be able to play and DJ music at a bar for the first time in a year and a half. And hopefully I'll be doing it again soon and folks can find out about that on my Instagram page. 
Wordy wrapping hood. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, we want to thank you, Lauren. And did did you have anything else that you wanted to say about Dynasty before we get on out of here? Yeah, if if folks are shopping for you know records, dollar bin or or whatever, if if you find anything on Solar Records, just just buy it. Don't think twice. You'll you'll be pleasantly surprised because you know it's it's a real shame that we don't know more about this label and that it's not more well known. But hopefully folks can find it and discover this music on their own and and really enjoy it only if you like fun or feeling good though right yeah if you don't like feeling good i would not recommend um any albums from this label (laughs) (laughs) if you like to be sad if you like to be upset you might want to look into oh shit what was that other label that (laughs) light in the attic maybe i don't know yeah some like japanese uh i don't know minimalism or something from Light in the Attic. Yeah. From, from Light in the Attic. Yeah, some reissues. No, what was the other label that Dick Griffey was involved in with What's-His-Face? Oh, Death Row Records? Yeah, if you like to feel <laughs> sad, maybe you can listen to something on Death Row Records. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel good usually when I'm listening to Death Rows. All right. Yeah, well. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a West Coast party, you know, yeah. Might be dangerous, you know, mm-hmm. some realities we got to acknowledge. That's but true. It's still fun. <laughs> oh, okay. Where where are we going with uh, the end here? Which track? Okay. The last track I want to play is called High Time I Left You. It's the. High sec- Time I Left You, Baby. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> High Time, parentheses, I Left You, Baby, which is the second to last track on the album. Yeah. And this. It's hard to read. I'm trying to read who actually wrote this, but it looks like it was D Myers and K Spencer. I don't know who D Myers is, but Kevin Spencer from Dynasty co-wrote it. Yeah, it actually, it, it seems like there's a pretty good versatility of writers on this album. It's mm-hmm. a collective effort. I mean, and I get that impression. That's what a lot of Solar releases are—kind of mm-hmm. a family things, so to speak. Totally. Well. It's high time I left you babies. <laughs> I, I'm co-host Jeremy Ruggles, and this was I'd Buy That for a Dollar. I'm co-host Sean Hartman, and this was still I'd Buy That for a Dollar. And I am co-host Peter Cook, further confirming that this has been I'd Buy That for a Dollar. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. And Thanks for coming on, Lauren, and putting up with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Please come back sometime. Happily. Next year. Yep. One year from today.